Support for Real Humans by Gina Kaufman comes from the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, presenting A Frame of Mind, a new podcast taking a look at race in America through the lens of the museum's past, present, and future. Available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at nelson-atkins.org. Hey, Kansas City. You're listening to Real Humans by Gina Kaufman, a podcast from KCUR Studios. On this episode, we're going to talk about Carrie Nation, the bespectacled woman who smashed Kansas saloons with hatchets and rocks in the early 1900s. People have laughed her off for more than a century, but was she justified in her fury and maybe even her unconventional tactics? She tried writing petitions. She, she tried peacefully picketing outside. When all of that fails, what else do you have? This is a study in full-on rage and what to do about it. The day after Christmas in the year 1900, Carrie Nation boarded a train in Medicine Lodge, Kansas, destination Wichita. She was wearing a black alpaca dress and a bonnet. In her hand, she carried an iron rod tied to a wooden cane. Its purpose and hers were the same, to smash saloons that got men drunk in plain sight in her supposedly dry state. Carrie checked into a hotel, and then she walked to a bar that had just opened in town. A guy working there, a bartender, informed her that he couldn't serve ladies. So she picked up a bottle of booze and dropped it at her feet. Glass shattered all around her, and then she left. But she came back the next morning with a sack full of pointy rocks. And this time, she broke a giant mirror. She dinged up a cherry wood bar. She punctured a nude painting on the wall. And this is what gets me. She reportedly shouted, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, while this destruction of property was taking place. I've been thinking about Carrie Nation a lot lately. It's easy to laugh at her antics. Some of them are hilarious. But her story has been told accordingly for generations. And as a result, we've missed some really poignant things. People have written off her brand of activism as menopausal rage or maybe a symptom of some sort of delusional psychiatric condition, religious zealotry. But there's a lot more to her story than the popular mythology acknowledges. That's something I had a hard time reconciling the first time I researched her several years ago, because the thing is, Carrie Nation wasn't wrong. Selling booze was illegal in Kansas, and drinking was hurting people. Including Carrie Nation herself. When she was born, she was given the name Carrie Amelia Moore, she took on the last name Nation when she married her second husband, David Nation. But her first husband, Charles Gloyd, was the love of her life. They had a scandalous elopement in 1867, but it soon became clear that Charles Gloyd was what we might now call a problem drinker. And Carrie's financial dependence on someone severely hobbled by addiction was devastating. Running the very real risk of starvation, Carrie, now pregnant, moved back in with her parents to give birth. She was still with them when Charles Gloyd died of pneumonia and delirium tremens in 1869. She married David Nation in 1874. Reading about Carrie Nation years ago, I admired her determination to survive. 
I admired her bravery in speaking truth to power, but she was also a cautionary tale about giving in wholeheartedly to rage. You can be correct in your anger, I reasoned, and wrong in how you handle it. Easy for me to say I now realize. Unlike Carrie Nation at the turn of the 20th century, I qualify for all kinds of jobs to support myself. I can get my own bank account. I can vote out leaders not acting in my best interest, or at least I can try to. Carrie Nation had none of those tools at her disposal. Sadly, I now have a little more experience feeling powerless watching the leaders and institutions charged with protecting people blatantly fail to do so. I'm not just mad about the needless suffering, I'm heartbroken. Carrie Nation still haunts me. Was she a raving madwoman, or did she behave really strategically and effectively? I see her as, as a very courageous individual. That's historian Mark Lawrence Schrad. He's an associate professor at Villanova University and the author of Smashing the Liquor Machine, A Global History of Prohibition a new book about alcohol bans in the United States and beyond. She wasn't some sort of holy crone on a broomstick, as she oftentimes gets portrayed, you know, with the overlays of all the, you know, sort of misogynist language that kind of comes with that. She said, you know, you wouldn't give me the vote, so I had to use a rock, right? So it's fairly straightforward. His book starts with Carrie Nation because he thinks she embodies a larger misunderstanding of the prohibition movement. The conventional explanations that we have for prohibition, you know, are, are based on more on conspiracy theories than anything else. Some of that is sexism and a fear of women getting the right to vote. We associate suffragism with prohibitionism as, as kind of a you know, way to slime both movements, really. We're all freedom loving Americans who like to drink booze and then women get the vote and they take away our freedom to drink. But Mark also wants us to realize that Carrie Nation wasn't actually against what he calls the stuff in the bottle. It wasn't about moralizing and it wasn't about, you know, th what thou shalt and shalt not do. It was a movement uh, against predatory capitalism. If there's a contemporary parallel, he says it's the opioid epidemic, the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma. Are you OK with Purdue Pharmaceuticals going out, getting people hooked on a highly addictive substance and then just draining them dry and leaving them for dead. You know, if you're okay with that, well, that's, that's on you, I suppose. But if, if you're not, if you think that's a problem, congratulations, you know, a hundred years ago, you're probably in the temperance rank. We hear more about Carrie Nation's hatchetation, as she liked to call it, than we hear about the other gentler approaches she tried first with less successful outcomes. She was a a jail evangelist, right? She went to the, the jails and, and tried to help them, you know, uh, become penitent and, and help them find God and ask them, you know, why are you in jail? They said, well, because of alcohol, right? Which is weird because it was a dry state. So uh, she goes out and, and says, you know, it's not these guys who were, you know, the criminals. It's the people who were violating the law, who are getting them drunk, who are selling them alcohol in violation of the laws of the state. What rankled her, again, wasn't people having fun. It was the fact that the people selling booze enjoyed perfectly good standing in their communities, while the people they profited from suffered huge consequences. She tried reporting her findings. She goes first to the, you know, to the bailiff, and then she goes to the judge, and then goes to the district attorney, and then goes all the way up the reins to the, the governor, um, you know, to try to uh, to get some justice. And everybody is on the side of the, you know, the, the corrupt liquor trade. 
One of Mark Lawrence Schrad's favorite stories about Carrie Nation is the time she got into a debate with a doctor who tried to convince her that drinking beer was good for your health. She says, oh, okay, great. And she had, there, goes over, finds like a case of Schmidt's malt and starts slamming beer after beer after beer until this doctor is horrified that she's going to get alcohol poisoning of this thing that he just told her was, you know, was perfectly healthy. Right. And so she's like, I have no time for your stupid arguments. You know, I will chug these beers to prove your, to your, your point. Right. By the time Carrie Nation went anywhere with a hatchet, she had exhausted her options. She tried writing petitions. She, she tried peacefully picketing outside. She tried moral suasion. When all of that fails, what else do you have? The thing is, her saloon wrecking campaigns were effective. One of my favorite stories about Carrie Nation takes place in the aftermath of a hatchetation, when a police officer says he wishes he could arrest her. And in front of a big crowd that had gathered, Carrie's like, you want to take me, a woman whose heart is breaking, and you, a constable oath-bound to close this man's business. Why don't you do your duty? And you know what? The officer did. He begrudgingly arrested the saloon operator and shuttered the illegal business for good. In fact, lots of saloons shut down when Carrie Nation showed up with a hatchet. It's still hard for me to say that I'm kind of a fan of Carrie Nation because I have absorbed all the cultural shame that surrounds her. Plus, the whole story still leaves me with the cruel understanding that if you take action against an injustice that's widely accepted in your community, you could end up being mocked for more than a century. Mark Schrad makes a really good point about that. That's not on her, though. That's on everybody else that they're they're shaming her and so on. And she didn't care. She also accomplished a lot in her lifetime. She called out hypocrisy of corrupt politicians and law enforcement officials, but she also did all kinds of charitable work, most impressively using her alimony after David Nation filed for divorce to establish the Home for Wives and Mothers of Drunkards in Kansas City, Kansas. It was basically a precursor to the modern domestic violence shelter. During a speaking engagement in 1911, Carrie Nation collapsed on stage, uttering the memorable last words, I have done what I could. She was rushed to the hospital where she died the next day. She's buried beside her parents just outside of Kansas City in Belton, where she spent part of her childhood on a nearby farm. She hath done what she could, reads her tombstone. Maybe it's time to go pay my respects. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Mackenzie Martin with music from Blue Dot Sessions. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. These stories come from a column I write for KCUR.org every Sunday. Gabe Rosenberg is my editor. I'm Gina Kaufman. Over and out.